everyone. Welcome to another episode of ESG Climate and Money Show. In our last uh, two episodes, we have discussed in detail about the greenwashing um, and different, we, we, we started very simple and then we went very deep into the greenwashing topic. And today, uh, my co-host, uh, Stephen, have come up with a great paper uh, where we will discuss about this it's his idea that we should discuss this paper because it's very relevant to the previous two episodes. So, so I think uh, for uh, the benefit of the audience, for the overall ESG community, this is very interesting uh, discussion we are going to have. We had one discussion already of the record and now we are going to share what we discussed. Um, so uh, welcome, uh, uh, Stephen. Um, so what what are we having today? Well, Good to see you, Sonny. Uh, thanks. It's always a pleasure to uh, connect with you and have these discussions. So what we have on the table today is a working paper by Professor Alex Edmonds from the London Business School. Is it from the Oxford? I think it's from the Oxford, right? No, London, oh, London Business, Business School. School. Okay. Yeah, please go ahead. And the title of it is The End of ESG. Uh, it's a working paper that he has, uh, um, it is a working paper from the European Corporate Governance Institute, and he's got a bit of a provocative thesis, and he breaks the paper up into four main lines of argumentation. And, and so the, the, the central thesis is, is that ESG is at once extremely important and nothing special. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, I mean, he, he walks you through why he makes that argument. And so we can kind of unpack it and see if we're buying what he's selling. Okay. Uh, there's when you take his argument is that when you take this approach that ESG at once is extremely important and nothing special, there's four primary implications that he identifies. Uh, firstly, is that companies should not be praised more for improving their ESG performance than other intangibles that drive long-term value and value creation. Mm. Second, is that investors who greenwash are rightly to be held account, but at the same time, other investors who do not utilize ESG or sell ESG type uh, products should also be held to account too, right? Investors who invest in non-ESG funds should receive the same sorts of protections that uh, uh, as those investors who invest in ESG funds. The third thing he says is that practitioners should not rush to do something special for ESG factors that they would not do for other drivers of value, right? His, one of his closing lines is, is that we want great companies, right? Not just great ESG companies. Yeah. So we, we just don't want companies who are very good at greenwashing and reports and, and uh, their communication skills. So we want actually great companies actually great doing companies. good things in ESG as well at the same time. Right. Hmm. And, and to really bring home his thesis that ESG is important and nothing special at the same time, his, his final implication that he identifies is that many of the controversies surrounding ESG 
become moot when we view ESG as a set of long-term value factors. Hmm. So what, what he's trying to do here, and again, we can unpack it here in a minute, is that he, he's trying to thread a needle, right? Because when we talk about ESG, you have you know uh, evangelists on one side and you have detractors uh, on the others. And sometimes you'll have apostates, right? Those who, who bought into ESG early and say, like, no, it's not going to work. Yeah, so you have famous comedians like, or the podcasters like uh, Joe Rogan, and you have this Russell Brand recently. So they think like the ESG is just like a bluff, and it is like uh, the way the elite is trying to capture the value. And uh, I mean, we we have plenty of those people, but these are what I see normally in the media. Um, right, and so he's he's trying to bring some balance to the discussion. He's also trying to shift the vision. Right, is that? Um, is that ESG has to be part of the matrix that makes up long-term value creation. Hmm. At least That's factor in into yeah, the that, investment decision. Uh, that is very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I when you sent it to me and I went it went through the paper, it's very beautifully, uh, you can say, like written in a very uh, rhythmic way. Uh, and it goes from introduction to all the way uh, to the evolving landscape of ESG metrics and the surge in ESG funds and the controversies uh, which are surrounding ESG and the end, of course, as from his researcher's point of view, what are the implications for that in the mm -hmm. research when everything is non-aligned and uh, you can't really kind of do things in a traditional way. So this is very... Uh, like uh, interesting so let's let's uh, uh, go more deeper um, in, in in this uh, topic because we have been discussing about these uh, topics uh, without understanding that there exists a paper also uh, talking similar things but more uh, with uh, some uh, arguments which may be more uh, proper compared to our banters <laughs> so yeah what what do you what do you think um uh, on this that uh, like uh, how relevant is it today this well paper, so i think for the listeners this paper came out in september of this year so it's new but it is an issue that professor edmonds has been thinking about for quite some time he has a, a book that further expounds on these ideas called grow the pie uh, i'm gonna sign it for my sustainable finance course that i'll teach in the spring semester here at wingate but I do think he's onto something. I, I, I think that, uh, so he writes, and this is in the abstract. Obviously, he goes a lot deeper in, in the actual uh, paper itself. But he said, companies shouldn't be praised more for improving their ESG performance than these other intangibles, such as uh, company culture, um, patent production, Right. And the second one is investor engagement on ESG factors shouldn't be put on a pedestal compared to engagement on other value drivers. So what he's pushing for is a is there is an important place for ESG, but it is part of a holistic approach for investor engagement in driving value creation in a company, in the production of, of good companies, not just companies who are good at ESG. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in there, he he points out that there's an annual survey 
um, that leads to the best companies to work for. And some uh, finance professors uh, wrote a paper on it where those that made that list, the best companies to uh, work for, also performed better relative to their peers. In terms it's, of value uh, it's, Yeah, it's more because of the motivated workforce, right? In part. Yeah. Right? But it could also be, you know, management decides to invest in uh, R&D, which leads to greater innovation, which leads to patent production, which allows them to bring new products to market. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's a number of things. And again, ESG, uh, how, what your footprint is in terms of the environment, GHG emissions, uh, um, um, you know, if you're uh, uh, an energy company, uh, you know, do you pollute local rivers? This is a problem that we have here in North Carolina with Duke Power. Um, you know, the social component, not only are you good to your employees, but are you good to your neighbors, fence line communities and such? And are you well, are you well managed, right? So again, it, it he's arguing that if it needs to be part of a holistic vision of how we understand and engage with companies. I think there's yeah. merit to it, for sure. Yes, of course, like a 360 degree uh, understanding of the business. Uh, and then you you are incorporating ESG based on that 360 degrees uh, understanding of that particular industry or particular business. So it's not like one thing which is on the periphery um, and then you can just dismiss it. Oh, well, that's just the ESG. No, it's it's more than that. So it's more uh, deeper. And of course, I mean, it does not make sense for any company to not having the governance factors. It does not make sense for a company to having these social factors. Uh, and also uh, the environmental factors are also key for the long-term uh, business uh, the kind of uh, the good performance. And in this paper, I saw he quoted this uh, true cost. The number is $4.7 trillion. I think it's he, he talks about that in the US, like it's, it's, that is the amount of... Uh, 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 like the trillions of dollars which environmental uh, cost is. And this was in 2013. Imagine that it's probably doubled by now. Uh, so this is an um, extremely uh, interesting point uh, in my understanding uh, related to that. But, you know, this is there is also another thing, Stephen. I don't know why people need to be convinced about these things that environmental uh, approach is good approach and social approach is good approach and governance is good governance uh, governance is important for the good business it it, it, it is really uh, sometimes i often get confused about this thing that why we need to convince people don't they think by themselves it all makes just uh, uh, like the common sense uh, it, it, it's it should be the part of your common sense and you if you if you have your brain working and you all your brain cells are functioning properly you should be actually uh thinking in these lines already but the that's very uh, very interesting uh, well, let, let me let me tell you a story that that uh from, from yesterday i was on a webinar about a product launch from a business education company. And what they do is they provide um, simulations that students can do 
attached to a business class, finance, management, what have you. And so they were launching, they have a sustainable uh, management uh, module or simulation module, and they have a sustainable finance one. And uh, they sent out emails to business faculty around the country. And one, and they didn't say who it was, rightly so, but one business school faculty member in the United States wrote back and uh, referred to it, didn't even say dear so-and-so, just went right into it, no foreplay, said, this is leftist woke bullshit. Do not send this to me again. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly... This is exactly, I mean, uh, the thing which I have observed on the internet, for example, when I talk about this Joe Rogan and um, uh, like this type of podcasts and like the people criticizing, for example, COP27. Um, and, Rogan, uh, Rogan is a charlatan, right? This is a business professor. Yeah. So this is, this. I mean, this is the, <laughs> I don't know, man. This is why I was saying like, why common sense could be so hard uh, for people to understand and it's if these things i mean i don't want to use a word uh, some profane word in this thing but i just want to say like uh, does it uh, kind of what does it cost to be a good person like and not be a a-hole if i may say so it's it's really interesting i mean if you are good with your employees and and you are actually uh, very deliberate related to the, your supply chains and you're good with your uh, this understanding your supply chains and how, how good you are uh, in terms of S factors. And then if you are running your company properly and you are working for your shareholders and I mean, these are the, 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 the normal things. Uh, and of course, the environmental thing is still we can debate about because people have less awareness. It's a lot to do with awareness. But really dismissing this whole thing as leftist thing, and this is also mentioned in this paper as well, in this controversies of ESG where he talks about the politicization uh, and also uh, left versus uh, right thing. And we have talked about in this in our podcast as well before. So this is uh, insane. And um, I think uh, as a podcast, we are trying to simplifying these subjects and trying to make it easier for the other ESG experts and uh, to discuss about these things and giving them probably confidence that you don't need to think uh, that you're not uh, doing something right. I think it's uh, it's it, it should come natural to many people that these are the right things to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And so this is the, the, the mentioning of, of what, Professor Edmonds is trying to do is depoliticize ESG. And he says you can do that if you del are deliberate in making ESG as part of a set of factors that go into long-term value creation, right? Mm. Um, and I do think that that is very, very important. Uh, and again, it's something that on our, I think our first conversation that we had, for me, ESG is still what it means still hangs in the balance because of issues of greenwashing that we've discussed quite often, because of issues of the inability to have the sort of comparability across ESG scores, which he also talks about. And it's, a, it's important for us to, to get to there in just a minute. But if we can like turn down the volume in turn, uh, 
in relation to how this is understood and and convince people that it is important not just for you know saving the environment but also for for the evolution of and uh, well this sustaining uh healthy companies right great companies yeah it's the long term value creation uh which people are missing out on uh if you really think in that those terms if there will be no uh planet if your uh, your workforce is demotivated because how bad you are um and if your supply chains uh, like your suppliers even think you are just uh, taking advantage of them and then later on i mean you could be taking for example uh, coca products from uh, africa and then you could be just beautifully marketing your chocolate or uh, mm -hmm. other products and in the end if you don't really um, work on the bottom line and if you're not working with your supply chains which may have been doing something wrong because of lack of knowledge or understanding and you're not doing the right thing eventually the whole uh, ecosystem will collapse and you have uh, nothing to produce uh, or sell so yeah so it, it is like uh, it is like uh, that you are saying and it does have merit um right Be because what what you're touching on right now sunny is is the 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 whole can of worms known as transition risk right because if you're not paying attention to these sorts of things you'll expose yourself to litigation risk you'll expose yourself to uh regulatory risk right because it may come to a point where uh coca from western africa will no longer will either be you know they could increase the import tax on it or they could say look you just can't do it because it's uh it's effectively blood blood coca so th this is again it goes to the merit of considering this as factors when you're thinking about long-term value which many obviously institutional investors concern themselves with and this is another I'm sure you've, uh, before I joined the program, I'm sure you talked about it, but the whole idea of short-termism, uh, not only among companies, but also among certain investors and whatnot, where, you know, you're not worried what's happening 10 quarters, 12 quarters, 20 quarters down the line. It's what this quarter, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you, you are not, if you know, as a, your pension is at risk, that's a big problem. And you have to think about these long-term issues. And that's why we, we see so much focus these days on these factors as well, which is a positive thing because mm -hmm. there is no planet to be exploited later on. Uh, we only have one planet. Yeah. So uh, the second implication, so we, we've hit the first, we've hit the fourth. The second one, and I, I, I find this one very important too, focuses on you know people who greenwash need to be held to account. But you and I, we're totally on board. That makes perfect sense to us. But he extends it. He says, look, investors who are not investing in ESG funds deserve the same protections. And so for those non-ESG funds act that are actively managed, that are in practice actually closet index funds, they need to be held to account, right? Those investors need to be uh, protected. And the other one that he mentioned was, um, also those actively managed funds that are not ESG focused that systematically underperform. So it widens the pool of accountability is what he's Absolutely. Uh, asserting. Um, and this is, uh, I would like to throw in the number we, which he quoted. 
uh, in his paper, and that is like uh, every uh, $1 among $3 or like one third of the dollars, at least in the US, are invested in this, uh, uh, which are under the management, under the ESG products. Uh, it's in the, in the, at least in the US. So these are the amount of financial products you're having. You're talking about like 33, 35, 35% of the uh, total, uh, what you have. Uh, under the management uh, so 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 it's so enormous and it's so powerful imagine that going in the right way and doing in the right way so yeah absolutely and the third one uh, the third implication if we accept his thesis that ESG is at once extremely important and nothing special is that practitioners shouldn't rush to do something special for ESG factors that they would not do for other drivers of value. I mean, we've kind of circled uh, this throughout the discussion. Um, such as, let, let me finish that thought. So they shouldn't do something special for ESG factors that they wouldn't do for other drivers of value, such as demand that every company tie executive pay to ESG factors, force a firm to report them, even if not relevant to its particular business, or reduce complex intangibles to simple quantitative metrics. Yeah, very nice. You summarized these points. And one of the things I wanted to uh, bring uh, up in this discussion is that there is some issue related to this transition and that is that for example once you have this uh, you start to take care of your environmental factor and you close down a factory then you are talking with the uh, the workforce which have no work to go mm -hmm. and uh, then you are actually your s factor is going down suddenly because of this employee satisfaction and you are doing very good with the environment, but your social factor is going down. Or, or in, 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 at least in Scandinavia, in Norway, for example, also in Sweden, if you if you lose your job in this type of situation, at least there is a support system. The state can help you take courses, get back you to the work, or kind of upskill you uh, to to get into the new work. But uh, unfortunately, this is uh, easy to say. And this is not uh, easy to do for everywhere, especially for the big countries like US, for example. Mm -hmm. So, or many Asian countries where once you you lose your work after 20 years of working, you are literally going to stay jobless for the rest of your life. And that is uh, similar with the AI taking away your jobs. In this case, environment is going to take away your jobs. And in many, in this case, it's like, Many jobs are like stranded as, as stranded jobs. Well, they're stranded and, workers. Yeah, and they are stranded workers. And what would you do with that? That is a very big challenge. And I think uh, the policymakers and the regulators, they have to make sure like when you're doing this regu uh, transition and if the company is going to do with this transition and especially people issuing green bonds, I think this factor should be accounted in. Today it is not, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but of course, if uh, uh, some company is going to do some bold work related to uh, this uh, environment, then you have to come up with the new matrix, which is saying we will 
take this works workforce and we will upskill them and they will be getting back to work very soon uh, maybe in our own company or maybe in some other place but unfortunately that is not happening and i see this all the time for example companies getting this uh, billion dollar based on the sustainability link bond and then they're cutting down their workforce that is very bad and that shouldn't happen in my understanding mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm with you this is also touches upon the social compact not just between workers and the company the company and the community but also uh government and the communities that they're there to represent and when we start talking about that then we start talking about political will uh and in the united states since we're you know a federal system political will is not even across the board right <laughs> and yeah. and so th- that's why there's a room for a federal presence in these sorts of of uh work transition programs but also local elections matter and it can dictate whether or not that political will is there to provide the programs that can help upskill uh stranded workers uh, i mean the big one here in the united states or one of the big ones here in the united states is is the is the coal sector in in west virginia i mean what are these and we're talking about families that for generations have produced coal miners what's going to happen to them what sort of funds are being allocated to help these workers uh are the unions being proactive and and they have been i mean with the inflation reduction act there are monies or there is money set aside uh, for these types of programs but is it enough right is the is the quantity that's necessary there remains remains to be seen so when we put all this together sunny uh oh actually i do want to talk about esg uh, scores there's more than 600 providers man yeah yeah i mean i saw this in my esg investing certification as well we had a big chapter around this and this was very funny one is nobody is talking to nobody and there is no kind of um, there is no regular framework and there is no set framework everybody could be biased that's very unfortunate uh, i think there was a big research paper around it uh, what what edmund what edmund says sure bias is there but at the same time what edmund's argues for for the listeners is that reasonable people are going to disagree as to what drives value. Hmm. And so that may also in part help explain why there's no correlation across ESG scores. So he is uh, he's expecting people to have more common sense which which is uh, <laughs> which is complicated. Right. Hmm. All right man. So let's let's bring it home. Yeah, let's uh, finish let, it off. Let's, let's return to his thesis. ESG is at once extremely important, important and nothing special. Yeah. Combine it. And repeat the title. Was it the ESG is dead or is this? No, the, the end of ESG. And the so end. I, it's not the death exactly. So I, I think he talks about this topic as well, why he put this pro- provocative topic. And it's actually well, good. Yeah, so I mean, what he's what he's arguing is, is that it, it should not be it should not be special, right? It should be factored into how people engage companies as it relates to long-term value. And look, it is evolving and we shouldn't uh, be that shallow-minded and narrow-minded and think like, okay, this is it. So this thing is evolving. 
during this under this scope which is going on in Egypt right now there are new regulations coming in new frameworks coming in i don't know how effective they will be uh, but still i mean the progress is progress whoever small but with these thoughts i think steven let's wrap up today's discussion and uh, very interesting talk and uh, i hope the listeners were listening to our boring discussions before i hope they enjoy this this time thank you yeah, it's it's worth the read uh ladies and gentlemen and we'll post the link in the uh in the show notes absolutely in the description as well